We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. I thank you both. 909 on this Thursday morning, February 9th. Rob Virchick joins us now, chair of environmental law in the Loyola University, New Orleans College of Law. Talk about managing the risks of climate change. Louisiana's on the front line, and he wrote a book that's pretty interesting, and we'll talk about that, The Octopus in the Parking Garage. And if you have any questions or comments, 504-260-1870. It's unfortunate when things scientific turn political, but they do. And with that, we welcome in Rob Virchick. Good morning, sir. How are you? Hey, how you doing, Tommy? I'm okay, Professor. Thanks for taking the time with us. Tell me about the book. First of all, we got to talk with the title, uh, talk about the title, rather, The Octopus in the Parking Garage. Yeah, well, believe it or not, it's a true story. I mean, back in uh, 2016, there was a guy, his name is uh, Richard uh, Conlon. He lived in Miami in this uh, fancy condominium complex, and he goes out into his uh, parking garage, his elevated parking garage in that condominium complex. And it happened to be there was like a, a stream tide, a, a king tide going on. Anyway, he walks out into get his car, and there's a big pool of water, and right there in the middle is this flopping, undulated, completely alive octopus. And uh, he starts taking pictures of it, goes viral. Um, I ended up uh, learning about it from someone, and uh, we actually wrote an op-ed for the Miami Herald about it. And what we said was uh, this octopus is an eight-armed alarm bell for uh, for climate impacts because essentially what happened was there's a you know a drainage outfall and this poor octopus was down in Biscayne Bay uh, looking for food at the mouth of a of a drain and that uh, that tide uh, emphasized by uh, sea level rise pushed him all the way up and then out on into the into the parking lot but the good news is they, they got him out they got a bucket of salt water took him out. He's okay. And now I think we need to think about, hey, if we can't keep octopuses out of our parking lots, what else can't we do? And so that's what started the book. And, and the story ended a happy because he wound up being a plate of calamari, but we don't need to talk about that. Um, <laughs> but, but Rob, you know, as soon as you say climate change, and, and I like the, the subtitle of the book, A Call for Climate Resilience, as soon as you say that, there are people you know that are listening right now, they're going to roll their eyes, they're going to start playing it off politically this way, that way, or the other way. Is there any doubt that the climate's changing? No, there's no doubt that the climate is changing. Uh, we just have too much observational information about that. I mean, we've got tide gauges all over the world, uh, you know, showing uh, sea level rising and 
uh, precipitation patterns really changing, lots more rain in certain places. But but here's the thing. I mean, and, and I get it because my goal in this book is, is to be engaging, is to get people talking about this subject and thinking about their values. And so we can we can talk about values like so maybe your values are, you know, really sort of super environmental and you want everything to be clean and and so on. But maybe your values are, uh, hey, I, I want to protect my family and my property values. And I can't do that if I don't know, have a good idea of like what flood risk is going to be in the next 20 years in my area. Or uh, I'm, I'm, you know, deciding to take a new job and I might be moving to a new area and I'm hearing all of this about wildfires in the West. And I, I want to make sure that my family is safe and that I still have a you know, good job to go to and that I can retire there if I want to, so on and so forth. So those are values that, I mean, that we all share. And so whether it's about protecting your property and your family or whether it's about protecting the world, um, it's a conversation you know, that we have to have. Human beings from the beginning of time have had risks. Uh, that they had to manage and recover from, and and we and we always do. the the The, the issue is whether we do it in a, in, a, in a planned, efficient, fair way, or whether we just kind of run around with chickens like chickens with our heads cut off. And we and we want to do the first and not the second. Conservation has been around a long time. I guess what Teddy Roosevelt was the first real champion of that. Would that be accurate? There you go. Time? Yeah. So. Sure. I don't know at what point it turned intensely political. And let me say this, in terms of providing for families and so forth, I know the people in oil and gas get very upset, and they think that somehow when you talk about climate change, you're talking about putting them out of a job. And look, Rob, to be candid, if I thought um, somebody was out to put me out of a job, I'd be very concerned as well, and I'd start throwing up objections um, as well. But this goes beyond—and let me— Go ahead and and paraphrase that with, while at the same time, a lot of people being priced out of their homes, or some are, because of the risk of wind and hail, because of frequent uh, more damaging storms, and also the flood risk with the new flood insurance 2.0. So it's kind of hard to say that you're going to throw blame at everybody, but the climate and the changing in the climate while you're suffering those problems. That's a, a word puzzle, but you understand what I'm trying to say, right? Yeah, I, 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 I get it. And, and, and I think that's, I mean, that's perfectly normal. I mean, we start getting uh, lots of information and we start sort of putting it in our head, like, what, what are we going to do about it? So, so there is really good news. I mean, there, it's not all good news for sure, right? I mean, we've got a, a, a big problem. But, um, but there are ways that we can approach this um, that can allow us to survive and thrive, as I say, as, as we go forward. And so, so let's, let's look at these, uh, the jobs from oil and gas, for instance, because that's a really good example. So, um, yes, I mean, we have to reduce uh, greenhouse gases, heat-trapping gases. Um, if we don't do that um, in, in a good way, in an aggressive way, New Orleans – probably doesn't have a shot at existing, you know, in 100 years from now. But it does have a shot at existing if we do that and if we do things like prepare and restore the wetlands. That project, which is the largest uh, landscape restoration climate resilience project in the world, 
um, is bringing jobs and expertise from all over the world. I mean, we've got NASA and best universities working on that. We've got engineers coming in. We've got construction crews. Um, same thing goes if we're going to start, you know, working on offshore wind. A lot of those oil and gas jobs are going to be transferable. Um, so, so we have to think, and I'm really committed to this. We have to think about how the new projects that we work on are going to benefit um, the people and their jobs and and everything else. And if we do that right, we can control hopefully. Um, uh, flood insurance issues, right, through land use, better land use, through better uh, building codes. And honestly, we, we the answer to our insurance, I don't think, and I write about this in the book, it, it can't be just to jack up the prices on everybody and, and let people react. That's what I, that's what I mean by a, a chaotic way of adjusting. Uh, a, a common sense way of adjusting is to say, okay, what's this risk going to look like in the next 20, 30, 40 years? Let's use our best climate science to figure that out. And let's have a really frank but fair discussion about who should be getting uh, uh, maybe subsidized rates for flood insurance, who can afford not to, where people should be living. Um, and are people going to have to be moving? I mean, Louisiana, again, is, a, is ahead of the game in this. We are already planning these uh, sort of voluntary buyout programs, which don't sound fun for people who are going to be involved in them. Um, but it is going to be part of the future is, is deciding where people uh, want to live. You know, when it comes to um, climate change, when it comes to greenhouse gases, it seems to me decarbonization is the wave of the future, and instead of fighting it here in Louisiana, it would make a lot more sense of us to get ahead of it and find a way to monetize it and create as many jobs as we can uh, from it. But it seems as though that's not the current mindset, or is it, Rob? Well, you know, it's uh, uh, it, it, it depends who you talk to. Uh, uh, now, I, I as, as you may know, I'm on the governor's uh, Climate Initiatives Task Force, which is charged with making recommendations for decarbonizing um, the the grid and and the economy in Louisiana by 2050. And uh, what we find with our research is that the public in Louisiana is ready for that conversation. Um, politicians, really? those yes, uh, they they understand. Uh, I mean, we've got 70% of the people in the country, and that comes down into Louisiana, too, who are alarmed or concerned about about the climate crisis. Um, but nobody knows what to do about it. And I think political leaders are afraid uh, to to back a horse in, in this race. But the, but the thing to understand, right, is, is, number one, if we don't reduce carbon, we're sunk, and that's literal. Mm. Um, the second thing is that... Um, it, it, is that this is a trend that's happening anyway. I mean, BP uh, just came out with a report last month uh, saying that after 2030, they believe the global demand for, for petroleum uh, is going is to start falling and never recover. Uh, we're going to plateau this, this decade, and, and the trend is going to go down forevermore, right, in terms of demand for oil. So – that can happen faster. It can happen more slowly, but it's going to happen. 
And so the only question is which part of the curve are we going to be on? Are we going to be on in front of the curve or are we going to be behind the curve? Uh, and we want to be in front of the curve. And that's my point, not just for the right reasons, not just for the conservation reasons, but for the the pragmatic reasons of monetizing it and creating as many jobs as we can and looking at it as an opportunity as opposed to um, the opposite. Uh, I know you're an attorney, Rob, so you can handle criticism. I'm going to read you this text and you can respond when we come back. All right. More More nonsense coming from the climate cult left. The climate is changing because that's what it has done for thousands of years. Won't stop changing the left wants to use climate change to create their degrowth socialist movement. You can respond to that when we come back. We're talking to Rob Verchick, Chair of Environmental Law in the Loyola University, New Orleans College of Law. The book is Octopus in the Parking Garage, and it's not dry. It is a very entertaining read, and we'll talk more about that when we come back. Tommy Tucker, glad you're with us. 921 on this Thursday morning, February 9th, WWL. 927 continuing our conversation with Rob Verchick, chair of the environmental chair of environmental law in Loyola University New Orleans College of Law, author of a new book The Octopus in the Parking Garage, a call for climate resilience. Uh, the, the copy I got here, um, Rob says uncorrected proof. Is the book out yet or not? Uh, the book is is not out yet. It's going to be released on April 11th. And uh, I will be, uh, but I will be giving a sneak peek at the uh, New Orleans uh, Book Festival coming up I, in March. Well, it's it's a good read, and I congratulate you on a job well done. So you aren't an attorney; you're not you're not any uh, stranger to arguments or maybe people saying things um, about your 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 thoughts and your views. So let me read this text again, and you can respond. More nonsense coming from the climate cult left. The climate is changing because that's what it's done for thousands of years. Won't stop changing. The left wants to use climate change to create their degrowth socialist movement. And let me go ahead and add one more on, Counselor. Somebody else texted in and said the Earth's climate is going to change regardless of what we do. The floor is yours, sir. Part of that's true. I mean, the, the, the climate has been changing for, you know, since we've had the earth and for millions and millions of years, the climate's been changing. And there's a great chapter, second chapter in my book is, is about evolution, human evolution. And in fact, people, uh, early humans climbing from trees, going out in the savannas, sometimes those fossil skeletons are skinny and tall. Sometimes they're short and fat. And it's all because of how the climate changed. But here's the issue. <laughs> that took millions and millions of years uh, for human beings to adapt to those kinds of subtle changes. The changes that we're seeing now are greater than those changes in many cases, and they happened in the last 100 years, 150 years. So we are on fast forward, um, and there's, we, we are creating a change. There's no way to explain the change that we're seeing. By, by referring to natural uh, forces, and and you know we've got lots of science to back that up. And as I said, most people in the in the U.S. at least seventy percent accept this. There's only a very small percentage of people I think that can't be moved on this issue. But whether or not you think that we are doing it, uh, that doesn't mean that we don't have to prepare for it. And that's what I like actually about the the area of, of law that I'm in is because you don't have to under, you don't have to agree exactly why the climate is changing to say that we need to adapt to it and change. And as far as the degrowth part, because I do hear that, I'll just say, I mean, you know, we've got 
uh, two Biden initiatives, as you know, you know, are going to be sending tens of billions of dollars into Louisiana uh, for things like future flood modeling, uh, for flood control, for uh, offshore wind turbines. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, we're going to be spending a lot of money, probably half a trillion dollars on a lot of this stuff, and it's going to result in jobs and construction. Uh, we're building uh, wind turbine blades in um, in New Orleans. We're designing the boats that create uh, offshore wind. Uh, we're you know in, in Homa and other places. So this is not the growth. I mean, this is lots of growth uh, and lots of development. I am not in favor of just tucking ourselves away and and not flourishing. Uh, that's that's the opposite of what preparing for climate change is about. You know, as you said that, Rob, one thing that people often proffer is that, well, you look at uh, developing nations or industrial nations, I should say, Brazil, China, India, as much um, uh, greenhouse gases they're pumping into the environment, uh, it's useless for us to try to do anything about it. But if anything, that makes the case for in some way trying to adapt, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that is that is true. And for a, a long time, when I first started my career, I was all about sort of an adaptation. And a lot of people, even in my field, didn't like that because they thought that I was giving up on reducing carbon uh, emissions. But um, there is no, we have to, as I say, we have to manage um, the risks that we can't avoid and avoid the risks that we can't manage. So what's the first step toward that? Is it um, the political will to do it? Is it Does it have to be a, an approach worldwide, which I, I kind of think it does, but how do you get everybody on board with that? Yeah, you know, so this is not a scientific problem anymore. It is a, like you say, it's a motivation problem. And uh, the way you motivate is the same way uh, that you, you decide to go to the gym or eat right or whatever it is. Um, you, you have to you have to first of all, you have to learn about uh, about the issues. And I encourage people to do that on, on their own and using my book. Um, they need to talk about these issues with other people. I, I have a when I teach my students, a lot of them care about environmental oh, stuff and, and climate change, but they don't really talk to people about it. And they're not really learning about it. And then you have to do something. And that doing something can be like really big, like, you know, like uh, joining a campaign or voting for the right person that you think will help and that sort of thing. But the other thing is, is you can just think about your life in general and say, well, how is a hotter climate or how are more floods affecting something that I do? Maybe I like to go fishing uh, or maybe I like to go hunting in, in the uh, wetlands or whatever it is. How is that changing and what can I do? To, to be a force of good in that. And, and we can all think, I think, in small ways about things that we can do, and then we can gradually take on more and take on more a, 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 as we go. Um, you are right. We have a, a lot of issues involving, you know, other countries and so on. And leading by example, I think, is one of the most powerful things that, that we as Americans have always done. And, uh, and we can do that here as well. You optimistic or pessimistic about the future, Rob? I, uh, well, you know, I want to say I'm realistic, right? But I, yeah. I, I actually, I think there we have, uh, we have a moment. We can change things for the better. Whether we will or not, I don't know. 
but uh, as long as I have a voice and a pen, I am going to keep trying uh, because I think we can do this if we get together. I think the first step is to open your mind. Everybody needs to forget the red, forget the blue, open your mind, and make your own decision based on the evidence. Thank you, Robert. I think you're right. It makes too much sense, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate your time. I really do. Hey, thanks a lot, Tommy. You bet. And it's a good book, uh, The Octopus in the Parking Garage. It's not out. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.